0: Welcome to the Bureau Briefing. Before we get started, I want to thank our sponsors. They are amazing. Thank you to MailChimp. If you need a marketing platform, MailChimp is so much more than just email. They help you with Facebook ads, with Google ads. You just got to check them out. And the way that you can slice and dice the campaigns, it's beautiful. 10,000 feet. You know, if you need insights into your projects and your people, 10,000 feet is the resourcing tool that can help you with that. And also gather content. Content is always the thing that drags every project down, but when you use Gather Content, you can get a handle on it. And now, let's get on with the show.
1: Welcome to The Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey,
0: everybody, and welcome back to The Bureau Briefing. It's Carl, and with me today, I have one of the co-founders of Zapier, Mr. Mike Canoop. How are you, Mike?
1: I'm great. Thanks for inviting me on, Carl.
0: Ah, I appreciate you being here. You know, we got to meet at design leadership camp in Kaloa earlier this year. And I had always been a fan of Zapier. I, I knew one of your co-founders, Brian Helmig, so I kind of was paying attention early. And I just want to start off by saying, congratulations, man. It's, it feels like you guys have a tiger by the tail.
1: Yeah, um, Zapier, very fortunate position where we're at today with Zapier. Um, uh, over 170 people strong um, in over 20 states in the US, 13 different time zones across the world. Um, it's definitely a, a unique and exciting opportunity. I'm really excited to be uh, at Zapier and working on it. Well, so now
0: I know Zapier was founded in 2011, which was roughly when you were coming out of school,
1: right? Yes. we um, Brian, Wade, and I originally met up at a startup weekend in Columbia, Missouri, a small college town where uh, the three of us all went to college together, though we didn't know each other at the time. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. We're, Zapier in the early days was a nights and weekends project for us. Uh, we all had day jobs. I was still a full-time student at the time. So the only time we really had to work on Zapier was after those obligations were wrapped up. And a lot of that uh, in the early days, we were working on it remotely from our um, our homes, just you know, jumping on, uh, instant messenger, working, um, you know, it's, it's software, so that was able. We were able to work that way pretty effectively in the early days. Well,
0: oh, that's that's great. So so it was founded a while ago, but when do you feel like it it really took off or it really launched?
1: So we worked on Zapier maybe six months or so through nights and weekends. And we applied uh, twice to Wine Combinator. The first time we got the flat out uh, rejection email, um, (laughs) which definitely, you know, motivated us. Uh, uh, The second time we applied in um, spring 2012, we got accepted. So we moved out. Mm -hmm. That that really moved us out to the Bay Area. Um, That was kind of the defining moment that got all three of us full time. And shortly after about um, May, 2012 is when we officially launched Zapier public, uh, you know, took, we had paid accounts on the site. Um, that w- that was really the the month we launched.
0: And when you, when you launched, how many people were working full-time at Zapier?
1: Um, just three. So it was just, just Brian and I mean. at that point. Yeah. Um, we hired, uh, very quickly. One of the, uh, things that we found was, um, uh, support was a really uh, important part of scaling Zapier. Um, it was something we we've always been very customer centric and tried to give really good support and do the nature of the product. Um, we found ourselves, uh, you know, basically waking up every day that summer in 2012, <laughs> and all three of us were doing support um, for the until like noon or one o'clock, uh, and then we could actually start working on the product again uh, right. to make it better. So our very first hire, um, we wanted to try and find somebody who could help us out with that. And oh, um, the, uh, Wade had uh, a roommate in college that he thought would be a really good fit for the role. Uh, um, uh, his name is Micah, he uh, lived in Chicago at the time. And um, that was kind of the defining moment where we were at, you know, like, all right, let's, like, are we willing to try and make this remote thing uh, give it a try? Um, Because we knew we wouldn't be able to, we didn't really have a network of folks built up in the Bay Area where we were living at the time, and the people that we knew and like thought we could work effectively with were uh, across the country. Um, so we knew we'd done remote fairly successfully before we moved to um, the Bay Area. So we kind of decided let's let's give this a, let's give this a go and start um, trying to hire this way.
0: See, so, you now this is really interesting because I, I know you've mentioned it a few times, and when we were talking before, uh, both in Kaloa and, and earlier, I, I was like. The way that you have managed to get a distributed team of 170 still functioning it is amazing to me. What, what I love is that the three of you moved to the Bay Area, which I know is one of the biggest talent pools and biggest talent fights that there is, right? Yep. So then from the Bay Area, you go out and find people. And I love that it was you found the right person and then said, okay, let's try to make this work. So when you did that, knowing you, the amount that I do, I can only imagine there was some level of planning or putting out some sort of, uh, I hate the word roadmap, unless it's an authentic roadmap I can pivot on. Um, but, (laughs) but how did you decide to move forward once you had the one distributed employee?
1: Yeah. Um, you know it, it, it was definitely an experiment at that point um uh this was uh not common wisdom to hire folks remotely though i do think that you have started to see that tone and uh, mentality shift quite rapidly over the last couple of years in the bay area especially with how expensive it is to live live here right. um though I, yeah back in 2012 it was a bit of a like kind of unknown thing. There were a handful of companies we looked up to for inspiration. Uh, Automatic was one. Uh, 37 Signals was another. Um, folks who'd written about how to, to run remote teams before, and we thought, yeah, we've done this before. We, let's give this a try. Um, it took us probably until maybe employee seven or eight where we felt like, yeah, this is this is going to work. Um, in fact, not only is it going to work, it's actually better. Uh, we, we found a lot, of, um, a lot of benefits from working remotely, uh, especially building a software product. Um, you know, I, I can't say that remote will scale to every type of organization, but especially if you're building software uh, mm-hmm. or in like a client services style model, um, remote actually gives you some advantages. Um, the The number one advantage, of course, is you get to hire the best people anywhere they're at. Um, like you said, there's a big pal- talent pool in the Bay Area. However, there's a big talent pool across the world that can't move to the Bay Area. Uh, it's an untapped talent pool. Um, those folks tend to be some of our best highest performing, highest retained teammates. Um, you know, this is like, uh, uh, you know, the best engineer in like Ohio, right, is is right. probably working um, for Zapier. Um, and that's just somebody that we would never have been able to convince to move to the Bay Area. Um, so it gives us access to talent pools around the world.
0: Well, And I think that one of the amazing things about allowing employees to live where they decided to live is they're happy there. <laughs> Right mm-hmm. now, yep. if you are a distributed company and you hire somebody and they say, Is it okay if I move? then you're allowing them to go somewhere where they will be happy. But for us, I remember our first uh, distributed employee lived in Seattle and they said, Are we gonna have to, Am I gonna have to move to Jacksonville? I was like, No, you're like really great at what you do and you're motivated and you're in Seattle. I'm not gonna uproot you and move you across the country. So yeah. it's a, that makes it's so much it's sense. It's
1: one of those like things during, uh, when we're making offers, it doesn't even factor in (laughs) is, you know, if we've got, if we're at the end of a hiring process with two folks, uh, and you know, one can move, but the other can't, that doesn't even enter the calculus. Uh, we can just make the offer to the best candidate, um, and not have to worry about the logistics of trying to get, you know, whether they can move across the country.
0: So now when you are looking at candidates, are there certain characteristics you look for that you think would make a better distributed employee?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things, um, our number one value in the organization um, is default action. Uh, this is a, a remote, really embodies trust and autonomy. And we like and want to work with people who respect that and thrive with it. Um, uh, the folks in the company that are the most successful are folks who don't wait for permission, um, they're able to ha- like generate ideas and then like default to action by finding people in the organization to work with and start making that thing happen. Um, I think this is, uh, definitely an, uh, something that Brian and Wade and I all brought to the organization and uh, this value kind of springs from that, but it also is really important. I think just in general for a remote company, um, you don't have that manager who's like looking over your shoulder all day long. There's no, you know, management by making sure your her, you know, butt is in a seat day in and day out. Um, I actually think this is better a better style of management, which is to manage through the output, manage through your expectations. Um, but yeah, that's certainly something we screen for and look for as folks who are going to thrive in that environment versus um, sh- uh, struggle.
0: Right. Now, when you went through and say you got up to that seventh, eighth, you know, 10th employee, at what point did you realize certain things that you needed to start doing differently in the way that you were going to run the company?
1: Yeah, one of the interesting things about remote um, is I, I get asked this a lot, which is like, oh, what are all the unique, interesting things in how you have to run your company? And the candid answer is most of the things, yeah, most of the things we do as a remote company um, are just good things for any company to, to be doing. Like, we have to write down our work. We have to be transparent with each other. We want to have an inclusive decision-making process. Um, Some of the things that we do, uh, I think would make any company better. Um, Now we've had to solve some of those problems, I think, earlier in our company uh, history, whereas you might be able to get away with not introducing, you know, formal written communication and a lot of um, internal communication sharing. until maybe you get to 50, a hundred people, Whereas this was something that was important to us, you know, at employee number 10 and 20. Um, so I think remote has encouraged and forced us to get better at scaling and building a company earlier in our life cycle than we would have otherwise. We wouldn't have been able to fall back on that in-person um uh in in-person fallback basically.
0: I, I know in digital services there's this under 20, your service your systems and stuff seem to work. Between 20 and 50, everything gets kind of crazy. And then after 50, it feels like it's a different company. Um, it's got new systems, new structure, all of that. Did you find anything like that as you were growing?
1: Um everything you just said resonated (laughs) uh we we hit that i mean we had that exact same kind of scaling bottleneck around 20 where we had to start actually hiring managers into the organization or bringing management uh, another management layer in um around yeah around 40 or 50 we started having to introduce our second layer of management which introduces a new communication challenge in the organization um around 60 and 70 there we started putting together um had to do a little bit more formal job of structuring the individual like teams in the company and how those teams worked as peers with each other. Um, as we got up through a hundred, we had to start being more intentional about aligning our work across the entire organization. So uh, not everyone could like in the early days when we could just jump on a, a, a Thursday all hands hangout and <laughs> here's what we're gonna do and everyone did it. Uh, these days we have to be a little bit more formal around you know here here is the um, here's what we're trying to accomplish as a company and here's how we're gonna measure our success. Uh, to try and align the organization around that, um, I, I so just had
0: this learning. vision of super tiny squares on a Zoom with 170 <laughs> like showing yeah. up.
1: We and uh, trying to figure it out. Zoom is awesome. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, we've tried every video conferencing software. It's one of the few that actually lets you get like everyone's head inside the same meeting. Um, yeah recently we did break it. We went over a hundred. So we're going to have to, um, find, uh, we're, we're, there's a, there's constant scaling challenges ahead of us. I feel like to make that keep working.
0: Well, now, how, how would it work? Even if you could get a hundred or more than a hundred people in there. So, so you have a, an all company call that you do.
1: That's right. Every Thursday morning, um, wow. we have a all hands meeting. Um, the, the best way to kind of, uh, describe it is it's a um, kind of like a talk show. Uh, It's usually it's narrated by um, either Wade, our CEO or someone else on the executive team. We do announce and introduce new teammates. Um, We go over the important announcements from the week. Uh, There's uh, and then there's usually like a main segment of information where someone in the company is presenting on something that they'd worked on recently or something important to like the direction or something that's shipping. Um, and then every week, we also do uh, an AMA then with some of the folks on the exec team that gives folks a chance to ask questions and um, be a little bit more like transparent with um, how we're thinking about some of the problems we're working on.
0: Now, you see, that this is where it starts to feel, for me, where distributed companies are so on purpose about making people feel connected, where located teams sometimes, and it's not their fault, they just take it for granted because they walk by a desk that somebody yes. understands uh, so this is amazing that weekly you you have this t- talk show oriented all hands on deck. And I think it's got to be great for you and for for Wade and Brian as well, because there's you can't know 170 people. So to get yeah. to see that introduction of the new people, as well as somebody highlighting something their work on, how does that feel to you when you when you're logged in?
1: Yeah, these, um, these days I actually have a, a few zaps set up, (laughs) uh, some automation set up that actually notify me whenever a new person joins the organization, um, and gives me like just kind of a dossier on who they are, the team they're going to be joining just that I can reach out and kind of stay connected to everyone who's, who's joining the company. Um, it's funny you mentioned the intentionalness. Like I, I have a lot of, I, I chat with a lot of other, um, founders and execs of other like growth stage companies. Um, most of which are not remote, uh. And one of the things that comes up over and over in all these calls is like the seating chart. Who's sitting next to who is this huge question in in-person co-located organizations. Um, and what I found is a lot of um, co-located companies, they proxy process with seating charts. So instead of being explicit about the actual process that they want to run or what the outcome they want, they just set the people next to each other and hope like kind of a good thing happens. Um so like <laughs> that's like right. Because they're in
0: departments, right? You set them up in departments so they're sitting next to each other. I never thought about that.
1: Yeah. Like if you, you know, if you're having a, if, if, you know, one of your designers and an engineer aren't quite in sync and you need, you know, it's like, you're not getting what you want. Well, all right, let's go put them in a room together for, you know, have them sit next to each other for next month and that, <laughs> something good will happen. <laughs> um,
0: but did that doesn't always turn out that way.
1: No. So we've, that's, <laughs> that's, um, I, one of the, I realized that was always pretty interesting because yeah, we, we spent a lot of time designing the processes of the organization to make sure that they scale for us and that they're getting the outcomes that we want from our, you know, pr- whether it's product development uh, from all-hand support um, to how we uh, communicate inside the organization, we're, we're really intentional about designing those processes.
0: So to take it from the employee's perspective, and, and I know you said that you're, I think you said you're in 20 states. And how many time zones are you across?
1: I think we're over 13 time zones now at this point across the world.
0: Yeah, that's insane. So for for somebody who works at Zapier, they wake up, they log in. What is the beginning of their day like?
1: Yeah, um, one of the interesting things about Zapier uh, is we don't have any core set of uh, hours in the company. Um, okay. If you if you looked at the time zone weight, it, I think it's weighted in the eastern Eastern US. Um, however, we don't have any core standard hours. Um, the advice that I usually give to new teammates that are joining Zapier is. Um, as long as you can find, um, you know, two or three hours of overlap with the teammates that you're working the closest with in the company, we'll be okay. We'll, we'll be able to make it work. Um, you don't need to have co- times on coverage with every, you know, all 170 other people. You're just not working with them on a daily basis. Um, so as long as the, yeah, our like product teams can find time to unblock each other, um, things generally work out. Uh, and sometimes actually, it actually works better. We found some optimizations here. If you can, if it. If it really works, you can kind of get this handoff cadence going where you've got, um, you know, one engineer who's uh, working uh, during their core set of hours and then kind of handing off to the next engineer who just picks it up and runs with the baton a little bit once they get into the office. Um, not doesn't always happen quite that way, but um, when it has to happen, it kind of does show like, hey, there's some there's some cool efficiencies we can get from like from something that I think most people would see as a, a total problem to solve around uh, time zone overlap. <laughs>
0: Well, the one thing I'm wondering, and, and I know that developers, programmers, generally introverted, but what about from a, a chemistry and a culture and a belonging perspective of being with a, a piece of machinery all day instead of being with people?
1: This is super important. Um, coming back to being intentional. Um one of the things that uh, we do, we do quite a few things to try and build the, the culture rapport and relationships inside the organization. Cause these are, these are, su- it's super important to have trust in your teammates, um, especially as growing as fast as we are. Um, we want folks to have in-person time, even though we're hundred percent remote, we still do dedicate certain things to in-person, which I'll, I'll talk about here. Um, the reason that we uh, do in-person events is um one of the one of the biggest things uh, reasons i've I've uh, found to do it is it kind of helps you hear the other person's voice a bit. It really helps build the empathy with teammates in in the organization. Um, most of Zapier is done through writing, uh, whether it's in Slack or in our internal blog or um, you know one of our other project management tools. And a lot of those tools, it's easy to kind of um, default to being a little bit too curt or uh, you know maybe using the wrong word here or there. Um, nothing, you know, there's good intentions all around but it can easily be misinterpreted if you don't have that trust with the teammate. And this is what our in-person events really help with is uh, building, building that trust so you're going to uh, acknowledge and understand like, and assume best intent when, when you see other teammates working through, through written communication. Um, the few things that we do, we do two all-hand uh, company retreats per year. Uh, we're actually going to be in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, later this month are going to get all 170 people, we fly them all in um, for a week, uh, where we do kind of a hackathon and a bunch of in-person kind of team days. Um, And then the other thing we do is we do dedicated in-person onboarding. So every once a month, we have a full week that's dedicated to onboarding. Um, We call it kind of like Airbnb onboarding, uh, (laughs) where we'll have everyone new who just joined the company, uh, usually plus maybe a manager or a peer, fly out to the Bay Area and it's an opportunity to work for a week um, in person with like Wade, Brian, and I, their peers, their manager, um, and kind of helps establish that early cultural tones of how we work and how we operate and that empathy with muscle um, so that when they do go back and they're working remotely, they've got a really good uh, foundation that kind of sets them up for success in the company.
0: Now, where does that take place?
1: Yeah, it's usually somewhere around Mountain View. (laughs) Um, We usually rent. uh, Brian Wade and I all live in the Bay Area. We usually rent uh, a handful of um, Airbnbs that people can kind of stay in, have their own space. And we're getting big. These are getting big enough where we have to rent like a uh, usually some kind of co-working space or somewhere (laughs) where we can get all the people in one place together.
0: Well, so, So this is interesting. So you're at 170. And how big is the executive team right now?
1: Um, the executive team is probably around, um, uh, depends how you count. It's around eight people or so, eight or nine, eight or eight or nine folks.
0: Okay. And you were saying, uh, when we were talking before the show that you're recruiting for that executive level now.
1: That's right. We have, uh, we're going through, um, uh, uh definitely our growth phase as an organization where we're trying to bring in some senior leadership to, help us scale the organization as we go from 170 to, you know, 300 and and, and beyond. Um, We're currently working on through uh, recruiting and hiring a CMO, a VP of support, VP of engineering, um, quite a few roles to um, uh, bring in and help us scale through that next phase of growth for us.
0: Now, as you're looking at that, I would imagine a lot of the people you're looking at bringing in, because you are part of a very successful and quickly growing company, you're looking for people with a lot of experience and I could be totally wrong here, but I would imagine most of those people have not had a remote working environment before.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's very true. Um, most of the f- uh, talent pool that we're looking at recruiting out of definitely um, some folks have done some remote work, but it's usually never in a company that's 100 percent remote. Um We've had uh, a handful of folks on our uh, exec team, as well as just broader Zapier. um, You know, when they're coming into the organization, haven't worked remotely before. They're excited about it, but they have some kind of questions or concerns. Um, And in every case, um, it after it's happened over and over. After people get into the organization and they work, they have an opportunity to work remotely for a couple months. um, They are they understand and get to see and take advantage of all the benefits, like the time flexibility um you know not having a commute being able to spend more time with family being able to unplug um and quickly like see the value of it so uh i would like we've it, it's certainly been something that we've had um folks who are coming into the organization have concerns about but almost universally um folks get really comfortable with it very quickly
0: that's that's great now everything we've been talking about has been pretty positive <laughs> so there have to be some challenges um yep. it, is it around legal? Is it around healthcare? Is it around like when you have people in all these different locations and from what I know about you, you are very much a, you know, treating people fairly, treating people equally kind of person. And I'm, I'm sure that the other co-founders are as well. Is that where you find most of your challenges?
1: You know, there's really two, um, there's two big areas of challenges. Um, one on the operate and they're both basically both on the operational front. Um, the number one big challenge you have to solve as you scale a remote company mm-hmm. is communication. Um, now this isn't like you could remove the word remote from that sense. I just said <laughs> the number <laughs> right, one challenge right. of scaling any communicate company is communication. We've had to solve it sooner and faster and get better. than I think other companies have had to. And I think this actually sets us up for a lot of success as we, uh, grow through this like kind of growth phase. Um, we're, um, we're really intentional about the channels we use for communication. Um, we have a lot of cultural expectations built into the organization for how to communicate with each other. Um, I kind of like, I look at through communication, um, kind of interesting. I I see there's like four big, uh, kind of pillars of um, bandwidth that you can get when you're communicating with a, with a colleague or a team. Uh, the first on the low end is no, you're not talking at all. So there's no communication. Uh, (laughs) a step up from that is, uh, like text only. So, you know, this might be chat or email or project management tool something like that. Um, moving up the bandwidth scale then to a video call or a phone call. Um, right. I can use my verbal cues and communicate emotion and tone. And then on the top end in person where I can use my full range of communication abilities, body language, gestures, um, the whole nine yards. Right. Um, now, as you move up that that communication chain, what happens is your interruption also increases, though. Uh, and you see this in co-located teams where, like the tap on the shoulder, you know, I can quickly go from zero to the highest amount of communication bandwidth, but I've completely distracted you away from whatever you were working on before. Um, whereas on the other end of the spectrum, right, no communication, you're not distracted at all. And the thing I've observed is in co-located teams, everyone defaults to the highest version of communication bandwidth, but also the one that is the highest interruption. Mm. Um, In remote, this is completely flipped on its head where the default is nobody communicates. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You have to be intentional about moving up that bandwidth chain. Um, In fact, I spent a lot of time coaching new teammates on when to move up that bandwidth chain. Like what are the signals to know that you should move up? And also just being over communicative in public channels that, you know, not feeling awkward and weird that like, hey, I'm t- I feel like I might be talking to no one in this, this uh, you know, Slack channel just giving a status update. But it's really important because a coworker is going to be able to come along in six hours and pick up that context without having to ask you about it and it unblocks them and allows them to default to action. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, getting this communication stuff right has um, definitely been one of our early challenges, though I do think we've got a, a really good, sound, strong foundation here um, that'll take us into the future.
0: And what was the second challenge? You said they were two, and they were both operational.
1: Yes, uh, the second one. um, This one's uh, the communication one is harder. The other one was a little easier, um, though. Not certainly was a challenge. Uh, We started when we started hiring. We've got um, teammates in all these states in the U.S., and there's a lot of compliance and law, legal stuff for how to, um, you know, whether you have nexuses in different states and how to do payroll taxes and all that. Um, Fortunately, there are a handful of companies uh, we use, Trinet, um, that are almost. I don't think they're quite like uh targeted at this like market, but they're perfectly suited for working with remote companies because they handle the compliance and legal across all the states in the US. I think they do Canada as well. Um and they're they're basically able to um uh like negotiate really good healthcare rates because of the size of the company that they have, as well as deal with um and handle all the uh, making sure we've got like entities set up where we need to. Um so that was an early thing we had to get right.
0: <laughs> yeah, once you find Trinet, and I know there there are some other ones. I think I think they're called EOSs, um, employment that something. Uh, but yeah, th- that without a doubt is it, it, you just you just relax. You go ah oh. <laughs> because yes. just the nastiness to to what you were saying of each state and the way they do it. Now, what? How do you handle if, if you're in thirteen time zones? You're obviously in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. So how does yeah. that play um, in?
1: So um, yeah, one of the things uh, everyone who's outside the U.S. is um, on paper a, a, a 1099 contractor, um, except for places where we're establishing entities. Okay. Um, the thing that we like to uh, share with new employees who are joining Zapier is the only time you'll feel like a contractor is when you're invoicing us. <laughs> uh, otherwise, everyone at Zapier is the same. Uh, is the same you know, on the same level playing field, like everyone comes to the retreat, everyone's involved in all the meetings. Like there, there's no, there's not two tiers of citizens inside the company. Everyone is, uh, everyone's a Zapier teammate first and foremost. Um, we kind of uh, look, um, th- there's a handful of companies that are a little bit bigger. I said that um, you basically uh, kind of the, the mental model is um, wait until you have a bit of a critical nexus inside of a, inside the company and then establish a, a legal entity there. Um, and we're just getting big enough where we're, starting to think about needing to do this in a few places, right? Um, but up until that point, we've been able just to um, hire everyone as contractors.
0: Mike, thank you so much uh, for stopping by today and and sharing this. In in a final uh, word of wisdom or advice (laughs) for people who are either starting a new company or have a current company that's located, but they're thinking about going distributed, anything you'd recommend just that they keep in mind as they get started?
1: I will say this, it is so much easier to scale a remote company from scratch than it is to transition from a in-person co-located company into a remote company. The transition, while not impossible, I've heard of folks doing it successfully, certainly introduces a whole new layer of complexity and logistics that we have not had to solve like just get taken care of for us with everyone being on equal footing in their own, you know, into their own homes. Um so the earlier, if you're interested in remote and you're thinking about trying it, the earlier you can do it in the company lifecycle, the better because you get those cultural muscles ingrained um, for how to work in a remote company, how to work with co- uh, remote coworkers um, that will scale with you. Um, so if you're interested in trying it, the earlier you can do it, the better.
0: Oh, and I, I couldn't agree more. And thank you again for being on the show today, Mike, and your continued success. I, will you? What do you think you'll be at? A year from now, like when you look at it, how big, do, how many people do you think you can add?
1: Um, You know, we actually don't forecast headcount like that. Smart. Um, the way that <laughs> we're well, I, like we do have some planning in place. Um, the way that we approach hiring is uh, we look for where our, our needs are uh-huh. um, and then design around that. So um, you know, I, like and, and just anticipating needs, like we've gotten a little bit better at doing that. So you know, I, I anticipate we'll probably be somewhere around three hundred, but um yeah like we don't have there's no headcount target that we're trying to hire to hit right now
0: well i'm gonna i'm gonna keep an eye on you and and when i start to see those numbers climb i might reach back out and say how's distributed working for you
1: (laughs) happy happy to come back on and and share uh what we've learned and how it's going all
0: right well everybody listening thank you so much we'll be back next week and we'll talk to you then